as we continue with our study of these precious words of Scripture given to us here in Luke chapter 9, you'll recall in our message last week that Jesus asked his disciples an all-important question. He asked them, who do you say that I am? He was asking them personally, who do you say that I am? Who do you really believe that I am? And Peter then answering for the group as he often did, he said, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. But curiously, there in those same moments when Jesus asked his disciples if they knew who he truly was, it was not yet time for that special truth about who he was to be revealed to the rest of the world. That time would come sometime later on. But until then, there in verse 21 of Luke chapter 9, Jesus strictly charged, it tells us, strictly charged and commanded them to tell this to no one, saying, The Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders and the chief priests and scribes and then be killed and on the third day be raised. And folks, those very special words of truth were words that even the disciples at that moment were not yet ready to hear or to understand. And they didn't. They couldn't quite grasp what Jesus was saying. This revelation that he would soon suffer and die. They were most likely thinking is that this was the Messiah, the Christ of God. And he had come to set up his eternal kingdom here on earth and that he would do that within the soon coming days. It seems that none of them Neither the disciples nor the scribes or Pharisees had ever fully understood those words of prophecy about their Messiah first having to suffer and die in order to deliver them from their sins. They had no doubt studied those words many times. They were revealed to them in the Old Testament scriptures, Psalm 22. And in Isaiah 53 describes his death so well. And they were probably taught those and other scriptures so many times in their synagogue Bible classes. But though they may have heard them, they couldn't grasp what they meant. And so, though the disciples believed that Jesus was the Messiah, the Christ of God, when he began to speak about his coming suffering, none of them, none of them was quite yet ready to accept what he was telling them. And then also... Here in these next words that we'll read in a moment, we find that Jesus has even more to say about the matter of suffering. In those words, we find that need for suffering would not only be required of the Lord Jesus, but would also be required of those disciples. And then also, not only those disciples then, but suffering would also be required of anyone and everyone who would dare follow after the Lord Jesus later on including you and me, including you and me. Now listen carefully to these words, beginning in verse 23 of chapter 9 of Luke. And he said to all, now this is the Lord Jesus. He had been speaking to his disciples, the twelve, and then the crowds gathered. And so he turned to all of them in in the crowd. And he said to all, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself, Take up his cross daily and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake will save it. For what does it profit a man if he gains the whole world 
and yet forfeits his own soul. For whoever is ashamed of me and my words, of him will the Son of Man be ashamed when he comes in his glory and the glory of the Father and of the holy angels. Now, interwoven within these words are deep spiritual truths. Truths that faithfully actually reach out to each of us, to you and to me, to beckon us to come up closer to the person and to the purposes of the Lord Jesus. But folks, in our coming to Him, these words clearly tell us that there will be much more ahead of us than those sweet promises of peace and joy and abundant life that we hope for. We don't hope for the suffering. We hope for peace and joy and abundant life. But He's telling them then and us now that as we begin to walk carefully along that special narrow pathway that Jesus has laid out for us, there will be many difficulties and sorrows and sufferings at every turn. He's saying that to you and me. Those words again, If anyone desires to come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. For whoever desires to save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will save it. Now I must confess to you, that as I have attempted to comprehend the full intent and the impact of these precious words, the ability of my mind to reach very deeply into their meaning has been ever so difficult for me, especially when Jesus speaks here of my taking up my own cross daily and following Him. When He tells you to take up your cross daily, and follow Him. What does that mean? I've read and I've studied about these sufferings on the cross many times. And I've tried to imagine the sufferings that Jesus endured, both physically and also spiritually. But I confess to you that I still have no real comprehension of all the miseries that He had suffered. Over these many centuries since our Lord's death there on the cross, We've somehow managed to diminish, to even take away much of the real horrors that were suffered there on that cross. We've reduced the cross down to being only a, a vague symbol of something that we'd rather not think too deeply about. And folks, for some, the cross is very little more than just a trinket that someone wears around their neck as a good luck charm. But we need to be careful. The sufferings of the cross were not some vague symbol that we've reduced to being very little. The cross was instead a horrible place of the most intense of wretched suffering with its certain and eventual end being death, always death. And as I consider what Jesus is commanding you and me to do here in these words, again, I confess, I'm at a loss to fully comprehend what we need to do. I know that His command is not requiring that I take up a literal wooden cross and carry it each day. And I know that even if I did, my sacrifice, my literal death on my cross would not save anyone's soul as His sacrifice did. He and He alone, Jesus and Jesus alone is the acceptable sacrifice for sin. Only Jesus was pure enough to be the acceptable propitiation for our sin. So then, with that being my plight, how am I, 
how are you to obey this very demanding command to take up our cross daily and follow Him? From these words, we can know we need to begin first with, listen to these words, If anyone desires to come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. We know where we need to begin. It's with this. Denying ourselves and taking up his cross. And he goes on to say, For whoever desires to save his life, if that frightens you or frightens me, it must not. Because for, he says, whoever desires to save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake will save it. So then here, Jesus speaks first of our denying of ourself. Of ourself. That's what Jesus did. And that's the first thing that he requires of you and me. When Jesus came to this earth, folks, he gave up so much. He denied himself of all of his glory there in heaven, his majesty, his honor. As the almighty God, Jesus humbled himself and he became a man, a man of the lowliest of means. And he tells us here that we are to be of that same mind. Listen to these words, Philippians chapter 2. He tells us there, complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord and of one mind. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit. That's the way we live our lives. Selfish ambition and conceit. He says, do nothing from selfish ambition and conceit. But in humility, count others more significant than yourself. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. Have this mind among yourselves, which is in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, he did not count that equality with God something to be held on to, to be grasped. But he emptied himself by taking on the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. And so that's why he tells us, he says, If anyone desires to come after me, let him deny himself, and take up his cross daily and follow me. The Lord Jesus is here telling us that we must not draw back from this beckoning call, no matter how fearsome it might seem to us. But we are to instead willingly reach forward and join with him in his work, the work that he began within us and then throughout the whole world. And as we willingly join with him, it's then that his spirit will lead us down the next steps that he wants us to take. As this one that's given here by the Apostle Paul in Philippians chapter 3, where Paul says, I want to know Christ and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of sharing in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death. Difficult words, strange words, especially when we compare those words to the common mindset of us in our society today. It does not naturally occur to any of us to willingly choose a pathway of suffering. Our normal desires are usually very secular in nature. To pursue happiness at all costs. That's what we do. We pursue happiness at all costs. In every venue of our life. In our home life, in our work, in our social life. We pursue happiness. But if we are to deny ourselves, what does that mean? 
We've been trained up to pursue happiness and things for self. When he tells us to deny self, what does that mean? The scriptures seem to describe our self as being that place within us where desires and lusts of the flesh come out from. That place where remnants of our old sin nature are still able to tempt and to influence our behaviors. And I would suggest that that is where he is telling us that we need to begin. Right there. For most of us, it seems that one of the greatest lusts of the flesh within our souls is this prideful claim to our right to ourself. It began there with Eve and then Adam there in the garden. The prideful claim to our right to ourself. We have rights. We have a place in this world and we ought to have it. And if that be so for you or for me, then that's where we ought to begin. That's where we need to join with the Holy Spirit to deny self. If we perhaps have this natural craving for money, which most people seem to have, and the things that money can buy, then it's there in our desires for money that we need to join with the Holy Spirit within us to deny those lusts. For many, their lusts of the flesh involve inordinate sexual desires. And most for the common heterosexual practices. But these days, for many in our modern culture, those inordinate sexual desires are for homosexual perversions that are spoken about in Romans chapter 1. And again, our freedom from those lustful behaviors can come only through our absolute surrender to Christ and the indwelling presence then of the Holy Spirit. Now again, each of us will have desires that are different, but in many ways, they're all the same. They're so much the same. But we need to join with the Holy Spirit to deny those. And fortunately for us, the Holy Spirit is ever and always present to minister God's truth and guidance to us. Let me say that again. The Holy Spirit is ever and always present to help us and to guide us in every situation. And it's by His guidance that we realize that the happiness, this happiness that we have so fervently chased after all the days of our lives is not something that should be pursued at all. We should not be pursuing happiness, but rather happiness, the kind that we should have, is simply a natural result of our having pursued another far more important far more significant course, and that is the ways of righteousness. That if we pursue righteousness, then happiness will follow. The right kind of happiness. These words that we're reading here, they're a beckoning call to each of us. And they're also a forewarning that we should carefully examine all the many senseless pursuits that consume our lives each day. And in our examination... We need to be brutally honest with ourselves about the real value in all those things that we chase after each day. All those pursuits are described for us in Matthew chapter 6. Listen to these words Jesus tells us. He tells us to not lay up for yourselves treasures on this earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But instead, he says, lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust 
destroys and where thieves cannot break in and steal. And then this profound statement, for where your treasure is, whatever it is you treasure here on this earth, for where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. And it will control your heart. Jim Elliott, one of my favorite missionaries, gave his life serving in the jungles of Ecuador, is credited with having said a profound statement. And I would invite you to ponder on this. He said, He is no fool who gives what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. I had to think about that a little bit before I understood what he was talking about. He is no fool who gives what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. So often we find that our most sought-after goals and ambitions have gained us so very little. So very little. After we have worked a lifetime and we've sacrificed so much to achieve them, we find that our hearts and our hands are empty and they're lonely. Our pursuits have been little more than just chasing after the wind. And I know that's been so in my life. And I would suggest it probably has been so in some of your lives. For me, misplaced priorities throughout my life have taken their toll on me and my family. And the pursuit of some perceived kind of happiness has been at the forefront of all my failures. Whether it be for a job that we imagine is so really good, or it be that new pickup truck. Because when we buy that new pickup truck, my wife has to go to work to help me pay for it. My children stay in daycare. All of those things. The pursuit of some of those perceived kinds of happiness really have been at the forefront of most of my failures. And so realizing that then, I really ought to be different in these remaining years. Each of us ought to be. We each ought to carefully examine our priorities and be far more intentional in the choices of the pursuits that fill our lives. Now, yes, each of us does want happiness. It's, it's just basic within our human needs. But how do we really go about finding it? What is real happiness? What will give us real happiness? Is it really found within all those enjoyments and entertainment that the media tells us that we need? They show us such examples within their television commercials of gaiety and partying and then speaks of us having a more than adequate retirement plan to provide for us in our later years. Again, as we carefully examine these scriptures, we'll quickly find that real happiness, real happiness is found somewhere else entirely. It's to be found ever and only as we embrace this very special beckoning call of Christ. Listen to some of the words of Christ. These are deeply spirit-filled words in the Sermon on the Mount. And yes, most of us find these words to be very strange-sounding to our secular ears. We don't see how this could take place. But as strange as they might sound, these words are true guides down the only pathway that will lead us to real blessed happiness. Listen, this is a Sermon on the Mount, chapter 5 of Matthew. There he tells us, Blessed are the poor in spirit, 
for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Aren't those strange sounding words that are telling us that this is what will bring happiness? Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be filled. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall obtain mercy. There's so little mercy in our society today. Everybody wanting to hold everybody else accountable for something that they've done. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. And blessed are you when they revile and persecute you and say all kinds of evil against you falsely for my sake. Folks, did you note that stark difference between those words and all those many secular answers that are given to us by the world today? This word blessed that's given here in this passage has within its meaning the concept of happiness. The concept of happiness. And no, it's not the kind of happiness that the secular world offers to us. Just like Jesus says about peace. He says, my peace I give to you. It's a peace that the world cannot give. This is a happiness that the world cannot give. And it's part of the meaning of this word blessed. Only these truths of Christ will bring us comfort for our souls and bring us happiness that we're looking for. And so it can be said, happy are the poor in spirit. As odd as that sounds, happy are the poor in spirit. Happy are those who mourn. Happy are the merciful. Happy are the pure in heart. And it goes on and on. But folks, again, as we can clearly see, these precious words really do speak with with a, a very important difference in the form and pathway to happiness So very different from the usual course that our secular world demands. And as the Lord tells us, few are they who will find it. Few are they who will find it. And why would that be so? It's because of this thing that Jesus is talking about, self-sacrifice. These blessed forms of happiness, they're a pathway that is filled with self-sacrifice. This pathway of the Sermon on the Mount... It's very similar to the pathway that Jesus walked, that Via Della Rosa, that way of suffering that was leading up to where he would be crucified. And here he is inviting you and me to walk that same pathway. He's even demanding it of us. In these words, Jesus tells us that real and true happiness can only come through the denial of self, the giving up of our own personal desires, and the humility of following after Christ. That text again, he says, if anyone would come after me, he must deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whoever wants to save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for me and for the gospel will save it. What good is it for a man to gain the whole world, but yet forfeit his own soul? Self-denial is at the center of these words. But again, it's not an easy path. For any of us to walk in our success-oriented mentality, we, I, find it difficult 
to intentionally deny myself of anything. Do you find that so? Do you find it hard to deny yourself of anything? Folks, we as a society, we have more money than any people in the world. And even if we don't have the money, we have ways of, of raising our credit score so that we can borrow the money and have what we crave. But also, this self-denial runs along an even deeper path that just abstaining from these physical enjoyments require. Self-denial meets a far greater opponent when we're required to give up ourselves to meet the needs of other people, of other people, especially those that bring difficulty into our lives. We truly are rights-oriented people. We have our rights. They are inalienable rights, rights that cannot be denied us. And we hang on to that principle with all the strength that we have within us. But the mention here of the cross immediately declares that there's a different, far more important demand that's confronting us. Yes, the cross that Jesus bore was in obedience to God, his Father, and for the fulfillment of holiness. But beyond that, listen, his cross was ultimately for the benefit of others. And so that must also be for you and me. There's more in this world going on than just what's taking place in your life my life, or just in our immediate family. And again, yes, bearing our own cross will often bring great suffering to us personally. But its ultimate benefit will be that we might join with the Lord Jesus in bringing many other sons to glory. And again, no, we cannot do as Christ did and save someone's soul. We are not able to do that. Only Christ can do that. But we can join with Him in His call to reach out to other people that they might give their hearts to Him. Folks, listen. Jesus only walked this earth for a very short while. And when He left, He put the remaining portion of His ministry in your and my hands. He did that. He passed His baton on to us. And He has commanded that we deny ourselves And take up that baton and finish his race. He tells us that in Hebrews 12. He says, let us run with endurance the race that's set out before us. Looking unto Jesus, the author and the finisher, the perfecter of our faith. Who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross and despising the shame. And has sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Listen, this Christian religion that we profess truly is a very serious involvement. It is more than us coming to church on Sunday. It is an every moment of every day involvement. It makes demands on us. Demands that are often painful to endure. And so the question before us today and every day is, are we, are you, am I willing to deny ourselves and to join with Christ in those demands? Jesus willingly denied himself and he suffered the sufferings of his cross so that you and I might be saved. And this scripture text for today is telling us, demanding of us that we do the same. So listen to these words as we close. If anyone would come after me, he must deny himself, take up his cross and follow me. For whoever wants to save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for me 
and for the gospel. We'll save it. What good is it for a man, a woman, to gain the whole world, but yet forfeit their own soul? Let's pray.